Garden City Methodist Church. We want to invite you to worship with us each Sunday at 10.30 a.m., either in person or online. You can come to our beautiful sanctuary at 62 Varnado Avenue, Garden City, Georgia, or you can worship with us online as we stream our services at GardenCityUMC.com. All right, we are starting a new series today from the book of Colossians. And we're calling it Reconciled Life. We just got done with our series on the gospel, and this is kind of a, a sequel series to that, I would say, in that Colossians deals with being reconciled with Christ. And, and what does that mean for our day-to-day -day lives? What are the implications of the gospel in a bunch of different areas of our life? We're talking all about reconciliation with Jesus. And so we're going to start off in Colossians chapter 1 with verse 15. Here's what it says. He, being Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith, without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I love an old movie called Cool Hand Luke. I don't know if you've ever seen Cool Hand Luke. It's got Paul Newman, he goes to jail, and he keeps trying to escape. It's got some real memorable quotes, you know, What we have here is failure to communicate. Love that part. And, uh, but in the, there's one part where he sings this really weird song. So somehow in jail, Paul Newman gets a hold of a banjo, and he plays it not very well in the claw hammer style. I don't know claw hammer, so I'm going to play it a little different. But... He starts, it's right after his mom dies, and he starts singing. I don't care if it rains or freezes, as long as I got my plastic Jesus sitting on the dashboard of my car. Comes in colors, pink and pleasant, glows in the dark cause it's iridescent. Take it with you when you travel far. And I never understood that song, right? He's singing about, um, his mom just died, and he's sitting here singing all about the plastic Jesus on the dashboard of his car. 
And it bothers me a little bit because I'm like, is this, is this part sacrilegious? I mean, Jesus is a lot more than a uh, plastic good luck charm on the dashboard of your car, right? Jesus is a lot more than this little bobbly guy right here. Oh, he's about to fall. You're supposed to stick him to the dashboard of your car, but I'm not going to stick him to the pulpit. I've got a weird relationship to something. It's super catchy, and it's fun to play on the banjo. But is it disrespectful to Jesus to start singing about this plastic Jesus on the dashboard of your car? There's a reason I brought the song up today. There's a reason why I stuck this little guy on the edge of the pulpit. It's because I think that we have got a plastic Jesus problem in the church today. Right? Christians... And let's face it, non-Christians who want to manipulate Christians have this tendency to decide what it is we want to do or what it is we want to believe first, and then we use Jesus to justify it. I want to act a certain way, and if you have a problem with the way I act, then take it up with Jesus. Because if Jesus was here, he'd be doing the same thing that I'm doing, no doubt about it. And what happens is that we are discipled by the figures that we see on cable news rather than the Jesus that we read about in the Bible. And then we take Jesus and what we do is we turn him into a mascot for our team. We lift Jesus up as the proof that our cause is good. And we mold our vision of who Jesus is after the opinions that we already hold and the groups that we're already a part of. This is why you end up with people who teach wildly different ideas of what Jesus would do and what who Jesus is. Right, And so you've got some folks who believe in the uh, mixed martial arts Jesus, the, the gun Jesus. you got some folks who get tired of, of having this wimpy or, or feminized version of Jesus that they believe that the, the Christianity's taught. And so they, their vision of Jesus, they, they've rehabilitated Jesus into a tough guy. And he's jacked, and everywhere he goes, he's flipping over tables. And they believe that if Jesus was with us here today, he'd be carrying guns and drinking beer and just being this performatively masculine guy. Of course, it's no coincidence that these folks also teach that men are in charge of everything and women should stay home in the kitchen, right? Because masculine mixed martial arts Jesus wants it that way. But then you've got other folks who've got activist Jesus. And they believe that Jesus is a warrior for whatever social cause they most believe in. And they see Jesus as primarily being an activist. They, their version of Jesus was walking around in the, the New Testament and with a picket sign. And, and he, was, he was off being an activist. And they believe that if he was here today, he would pick up the picket sign that has their preferred cause on it. And they'd hold up a megaphone and he'd stand up against the man and support whichever cause that they most support. That's activist Jesus. And then you've got some folks that um, you've got to wonder 
what their version of Jesus must be. You see all these folks that, like the, the Westboro Church guys or whatever, use church in quotation marks. Their vision of Jesus wears a suit and tie, and he's standing on the street with a red face, hating all the same people that they hate. Because that's what Jesus would be doing if he was here today, right? And all of these people have picked Jesus as their mascot because they believe that Jesus is on their side. But Jesus can't be all of these things, right? Jesus can't be a gun-toting, anti-gun activist. Those things don't go together. He's not both of those things. In fact, Jesus really isn't any of those things. Because Jesus isn't a mascot for anybody. He's not plastic at all. And the thing is, we cannot take what we already believe, dress our plastic Jesus up in whatever uniform we want him to wear, and pretend like we're defending Christ when all we're actually doing is defending ourselves. Jesus does not exist to sit on the dashboard of our car and give us good luck. And he does not exist to sit in the front of whatever cause we think is already good and giving us religious cover to do whatever we want. Plastic Jesus is pretty much worthless. But I've got to be honest with you guys. Really honest. When I look around and I see all of these mascot Jesuses, it gets me real down. Because I just don't want to be lumped in with all these MMA Jesus folks. If that's what Jesus is about, I could do without it. I don't really want to be lumped in with these picket sign Jesus folks either. I, I sure as heck don't want anything to do with whatever Westboro Church thinks Jesus is about. And I've, I've just had times recently where I've gotten so bogged down in all of these mascot Jesuses that I've had to ask myself, if this is Christianity, do I want anything to do with it? Maybe this isn't for me. If this is what Christianity is, maybe it's not for me. In my darkest moments, I can get that way. But then I read the Gospels. Or I read passages like the one we read this morning. And I'm reminded that the real Jesus is different. The real Jesus is nobody's mascot. And I love the fact that Paul, in his letter about reconciliation, right after he gets the introduction out of the way, he just goes into this full-fledged hymn about how superior Jesus is to everything else and everybody else. How Jesus is the top. Jesus is above everything. He shows us that Jesus is not plastic, but he is alive. Jesus doesn't exist to prop up any man-made agenda, but rather exists apart and above all of that stuff. And we exist to serve him. He does not exist to serve us. So in that spirit, let's read this again. Let's read how superior Jesus is. And let's take a minute to, to reflect on, on the implications of this. 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things on heaven and on earth created, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. That's nuts for me to think that all things were created for Jesus. That the only reason I'm here is because God created me for him. Amazing. And he is above all things. He is over all the rulers and the thrones and dominions and powers. That he is apart from all of that and he's over all of that. He is more important than all things. He's more important than the next most important election of our lifetime. Isn't it funny that every election is the most important one? He's more important than whatever we've been convinced we need to be worried about. He is God in the flesh, the image of the invisible God. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood on the cross. Jesus does not work for us. We work for him. Creation works for him. All things work for him. And the amazing thing about it is that this Jesus, who reigns supreme over all, wants to be reconciled to you. He wants to be in relationship with you and me. He wants us to have the kind of life as someone who is in favor with the image of the invisible God in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This is fantastic news for you and me. Because I don't know about you, but half the time I do not believe that I deserve that. I don't believe that I deserve to be reconciled to God. In fact, I don't deserve it. It's grace, unmerited favor, that has allowed me to be reconciled to this God who is above all things and created all things. But there's a little asterisk there, right? It says, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel. And I think this is why we end up with mascot Jesuses. Because there are people and institutions in this world that want us to place our hope in them instead of Jesus. And when we begin to put our hope in the politicians or the causes or the earthly things, we cannot resist the pull of making Jesus our mascot. Because our hope is in the wrong thing, Jesus has to promote that wrong thing rather than being the hope. And this means that we cannot afford to take our eyes off Jesus and put them on the agendas that the world wants us to have. The end, of the, the end result is that reconciling ourselves to Jesus doesn't mean that we make Jesus look more like us. It means that we make ourselves look more like Jesus. And if your 
idea of Jesus, if your version of Jesus looks, acts, votes, and talks exactly like you, it's probably not the real Jesus. Because Jesus calls us to be like him. He calls us to be different from ourselves. The real Jesus exists apart from us, higher than us. And he's calling us to be better. And when we make him like us in our minds, we're dragging him down. We're not lifting ourselves up. So how do we make sure that we stay out of a plastic Jesus mindset? How can we make sure that the Jesus that we serve is the Jesus that Paul is describing in Colossians chapter 1? I think the first thing we can do is, is simple. We read the Gospels. So often we cherry pick quotes or rely on what we think we remember from sermons or pastors to know what Jesus is like. It's important that we know ourselves firsthand. So we read the Gospels. We read the story of Jesus. We read the descriptions of Jesus from people who knew him and met him. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Read the, the parables. Read the stories of Jesus going to the cross and dying. Those are the things that teach us what Jesus is like. And we cannot know the real Jesus, unless we encounter him firsthand. We also encounter him through prayer, by connecting with him. The second thing we can do is submit to what we find in the Gospels. So when you're watching your cable news and you hear something that doesn't line up with what you read on the Sermon on the Mount, you don't hold up the Sermon of the Mount to the ideology of cable news. You hold the cable news to the standard of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's so, the thing about it is, it's so easy to do with the other team, right? It's so easy to do with the other people, the people that you don't agree with and say, well, they're not doing that. That doesn't line up with the Sermon on the Mount. But you get bonus points when you call out your own team where they don't line up with the Sermon on the Mount wherever you stand, because nobody is out there lining up with the teachings of Jesus on everything. You get bonus points when you look at your own politicians and say, man, they're doing wrong. They're not lining up with what Jesus said. Right? You get extra points when you can identify it in your own tribe. When your team goes against what you find in the scriptures, you go with the scriptures every time. So we read the Gospels. We submit to what we find in the Gospels. And the third thing that we can do that can really help us to, to cast aside plastic Jesus is to worship the real Jesus. To devote ourselves in, in worship. When we come to church each Sunday to, to set aside this time to lift him up, to focus on him. There's a great quote uh, from, from C.S. Lewis. He says this in, um, in Mere Christianity. He says, In God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, 
and therefore you know yourself as nothing in comparison, you don't know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you can't see something that is above you. This is the reason for worship, to turn our eyes above us, to recognize how amazing Jesus is, how better Jesus is than us, how better God's ways are than the ways of the world, how sweet his word and his law is, and to meditate on these things and to apply these things to our lives so that we can go out and live like Jesus in the world. That's why worship is important. Read the Gospels. Submit yourself to what you find there. And worship the living Jesus Christ. And if we can manage to do that with our whole hearts, I think we can avoid this problem of mascot Jesus. And our world will be a lot better for it. Let's go to God in prayer. Jesus, we confess that so often, so often, more often than we care to admit, we treat you like our good luck charm. Bobbing up and down, keeping us safe, as if you worked for us. So often we've treated you like our mascot, giving us cover for what we already want to believe. But God, you are the, the creator. You are above all things. All things were made by you, through you, and for you. Jesus, you are the image of the invisible God. You are so far superior to us. We dare not use you for our own purposes, but we submit ourselves to be used for your purposes. Jesus, give us the grace and the humility to be able to do this. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth this morning. Show us a better way, Father. In your name I pray. Amen.